Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, we chatted with the author of a book based on John Hinckley Jr. and her family's morbid connection to the assassin, heard new poetry from Jay Ivey, and spoke with rising local musicians Dos Santos. We'll also exclusively present the world premiere of a new song from drummer Micaiah McRaven at the end of our show. All this, plus the Trump Diaries and more, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for September 29, 2017. Hitting Left spoke to Stevie Viaz and David Orr as part of a wide-ranging discussion on voting rights and voter suppression. Orr, the outgoing Cook County clerk, and Viaz, the head of Chicago Votes, also spoke about what Democrats need to do in the age of Trump to win back disaffected voters. Hitting Left with the Klonsky Brothers airs every Friday at 11 a.m. Before we get to this, uh, let me introduce at least our in-studio guest. Uh, uh, let's start with uh, Stevie Viaz. Uh, did I pronounce your last name right? You nailed it. I was impressed. Steve Stevie is the um, executive director, newly appointed yeah. executive director of Chicago Votes. Yep. Uh, tell us something about Chicago Votes, uh, Steve. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I'm really happy to be on the show today. Um, Thanks for being here. Yeah. Uh, Chicago Votes is really cool. You know, we are an organization that was founded uh, uh, partially by your daughter, Joanna. Uh, Joanna Klonsky. Joanna Klonsky. She is my daughter. Yes. Yeah. She was one of the founding uh, uh, founding members of Chicago Votes. And we were founded uh, essentially to just give more young people power in politics. You know, we're the biggest voting block in America and Illinois and in Chicago. Um, we're the most progressive generation in American history. And I think we can all agree that uh, politics in general does not reflect that. So Chicago Votes... Uh, is an organization that teaches young people about the basics of politics, gets young people into a pipeline to leadership so we can run for office, run our own nonprofits, uh, work for progressive candidates or candidates that speak on behalf of youth issues. Um, and we also work to pass policy that we know is going to help young people in the in the city of Chicago. So, Like uh, you must have an example there. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of examples. <laughs> uh, we have online voter registration, same-day voter registration, and most recently, automatic voter registration, which is, uh, and you guys can check me on the numbers, but it's it, like it's, uh, we're uh, guessing that that's going to add over 1.2 million new voters to the uh, to the rolls in the upcoming election. So uh, talk about breaking down barriers. That is a huge one that we broke and, down. And, and Chicago Votes was part of the coalition that got that passed. Yeah. My, my question for you is, how in the world did you get uh, <laughs> Governor Rahner to uh, sign that when he had, he had vetoed the same uh, proposition or close to the same bill yeah. uh, back in uh, 2016, I think it was? Right. Yeah. You know, I think you just look at the facts, like automatic voter registration, increases the security of elections. Automatic voter registration is cheaper. It's, uh, it's cost about upwards of $3, $3 to process every paper form. Is that right? Um, and with automatic voter registration, that dwindles down to about 10 cents. So you're saving a lot of money by passing this bill. It's fiscally responsible. And when you're coming up for re-election and the entire legislature votes on behalf of a bill, you should probably sign it. Well, that doesn't. Yes, but that doesn't sound like uh, <laughs> Ronner's mo or the Republican. That's all the reasons. All the reasons you gave, or all the reasons why 
Republicans well, would have opposed uh, something like that. Let, <laughs> let, let me suggest uh, um, uh, an added additional thing to what Stevie said. This is David Orr speaking. Uh, remember, uh, this passed uh, a year before right. with Republican support. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, I, I approach things from uh, a, a political approach, too, since the, uh, politics is the art of managing conflict. And at the time, I do believe Rauner was beaten up very significantly because of his veto mm. and the newspapers and others. And Rauner facing a tough reelection and facing Republicans and the fact we're bringing this bill back with certain compromises mm-hmm. in it, uh, I think, if, frankly, it was more of a calculated decision. He'd gotten what he wanted, which was basically delay the bill. And furthermore, while we think this is great, we're glad for the bill, their strategy is to delay it further. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, the part one of it's been implemented, but nothing's happened yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, by now, hundreds of thousands of names should have been, uh, basically all that's happened in the first part of the automatic voter registration is those many hundreds of thousands of people that might have moved like me, but we, our driver's license still has the old address. Mm-hmm. Those people are registered to vote, but not from the right address, mm-hmm. which is a real problem. The first phase of this will automatically update those people because, you know, I moved a couple blocks uh, and the Secretary of State's office has that information through a car vehicle or something like that. Now, that is going to be done, but it hasn't been done already. It's supposed to be done, but because they haven't found the money for it. The heart of the rest of it, where you get to adding new voters and other kinds of things, is supposed to take place next July 1st. And in the real world, there's a battle between all of us Chicago Votes and the great coalition that helps support this and good legislators who want to see it really implemented then and many of the people behind Ron and others that don't want to see it implemented and they're going to use the real ID issue to try and stall it beyond the 2018 election. So the battle is still being fought. Okay, so we're glad we got this far. But I think he was convinced he would have been hammered, meaning Rauner, if he didn't go along and hopefully his allies can stall this thing so it will not have a dramatic effect on 2018. We hope he's wrong. Well, let me, let me ask a, a, a two-part question, kind of like my pop quiz, and that is uh, in a t- at a time when all around the country we're seeing uh, 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 attempts at voter suppression and keeping, voter, uh, uh, keeping particularly minority working-class voters away from the polls, what is it about Illinois that, this, uh, that made it different? And then... Uh, uh, as as the statistics about Harold's election back in '83 shows, uh, it's one thing to to get everybody to make it easier to get to get uh, to get registered. It's a it's an it's, we don't have automatic voting. Uh, someone's got, mm. people got to got to, and I know the work and effort it took uh, to get uh, to get those 1.2 million voters uh, to the polls in '83. Because I I was knocking on I was knocking on those doors to make sure that those people. Who supported Harold uh, uh, for whatever reason they did uh, got out, but but that's all. We don't. The 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 problem is that to me is that as as important as it is to fight back against voter suppression and and voter registration suppression and make it easier to get people uh, registered, getting people to the polls for candidates that matter is a mm. whole different is right. a whole different uh, before, can of worms. Before you speak to this, I think it's a good time to in, to introduce uh, our other guest. Uh, uh, Cook County Clerk David Orr, uh, uh, who uh, was the mayor of Chicago for one uh, historical week, uh, 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 alderman for a dozen years and Cook County uh, Clerk for nearly 30 now, and who has just announced uh, that you're going to not run for an eighth term. Uh, uh, David, how could you 
How could you do that to us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hopefully there's some. We thought you would be here, to, uh, clerk, till you were ninety something. Okay. Well, I, you know, people have to make decisions. Uh, I, I kind of explained it at the time that uh, the election was a year and a half away. The Democratic Party, kind of in their crazy ways, want people to be out real, real early. Uh, and then because you have a four-year term. I just want to be honest with the folks. I did not know that I'd be around that long. Um, so I made the decision, hopefully, maybe I'll do a little less bureaucracy and a little more politics. Because mm. I said in a, when we were kind of BSing before the show that uh, I do think we are in a very dangerous situation mm. politically. Mm-hmm. I do think the Democrats, and I, I want to be careful here because there's a lot of good Democrats. So it's not just, it's a really a lot of good Democrats. And the voters I think are by and large um, progressive on many things. We just have some bad leadership, okay? And that has been hurting dramatically. So uh, I hope I can help in – I'm certainly going to be following the so you're the, not leaving the politics. Yeah. yeah. I hope not. Steve, you want to speak to uh, Fred's uh, point that he was making? I mean how do – uh, how is this going to – Well, he made some very good points. Yeah. In other words, uh, people like Stevie and Chicago Votes and, and the rest, for years we've passed a lot of good legislation. And, mm-hmm. and again, that's really great. I'm glad we could do it. Um, early voting, uh, voting by mail, mm-hmm. all the other things that Stevie mentioned. Mm-hmm. But still the voters are not stupid, right. okay? When they saw a candidate that could make a difference with Harold Washington 83 and because you had kind of the white machine at each other with Daly and Byrne, that's what drives turnout, okay? Uh, we saw a more significant uh, vote in 92 with Clinton. We saw pretty significant in 08 uh, with uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the voters are not stupid, but remember, they, they will come out for things that they really are convinced are important, mm-hmm. uh, although there are other things that we think are important that we can't convince them. But remember, since 83, a lot has happened, okay? The voter suppression and, above all, the role of money. The mm-hmm. role of money, I keep, I keep saying this because I think it's so important, has totally destroyed the democracy. We, our democracy at best is partial, mm-hmm. okay? And no offense to Mr. Rauner or Mr. Pritzker. You cannot have a democracy in this world and let two billionaires start spending millions and millions of dollars 18 months before an election. You just can't do it, yeah. okay? If Stephen wants to run, can he spend hundreds no. of millions before? It's just, <laughs> no, it's just absurd, but we... <laughs> Uh, in America, we don't face these issues. Other countries are trying to. Yeah. So I'm saying this role of money, and that is directly related to why people aren't voting, because as money dominates, uh, people kind of follow the Republican plan of following the money, and then they don't support issues that the public wants. I-94, Lumpen Radio's books and literature show, chatted with author Andrea Klein about her book, Calf, a fictional retelling of the life of John Hinckley Jr. and her murdered friend of hers. Klein spoke about her background in dance, how characters talk to each other, and the grim undercurrents of 1980s suburban life. I-94, with Jeremy Kitchen, Mike Sack, and Jamie Trecker, airs every Sunday at 10 a.m.
So this is I-94, Lumpen Radio's Books and Literature Show. Once again, we are coming to you from the beautiful, sunny downtown Bridgeport neighborhood. Today is September 24th, and want to remind you that, once again, I-94 airs every Sunday at 10 o'clock. We also have an upcoming show live at Pilsen Community Books on October 19th that will feature the work of Tori Telfer and her book, Lady Killers. But today, we're going to be talking live by phone from New York with Andrea Klein. She is the author of Calf, a novel published by Soft Skull Press. I am Jamie Trecker. I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Kitchen. Good morning. And Michael Sack. Morning, everybody. And we're going to bring in Andrea right now. Andrea, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, we want to start off talking a little bit about what your novel is about for folks that uh, don't know. Calf is a book that uh, has two plot threads. The first is uh, it is a somewhat fictionalized uh, account of the assassination attempt of Ronald Reagan and uh by John uh, Hinckley Jr. There is another thread, however, in this book that uh, you note in your introduction uh, deals with something personal to you. And I'd like, to, if you would, to take our readers through that thread uh, just to start off, if you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> well, the other thread of the book uh, is somewhat autobiographical in that I grew up in Washington, D.C. in the early 80s, which was around the time of Hinckley's assassination attempt. And about a year after that, uh, there was a woman named Leslie DeVoe who in a, had a psychotic episode uh, due to mental illness in which she murdered her daughter, who was 10 years old at the time, and attempted to kill herself as well. And she was uh, found not guilty by reason of insanity, as was John Hinckley Jr. for his assassination attempt, and they were both um, institutionalized at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, and there they both, uh, they met, and they had for some years a romantic relationship, and I went to elementary school with Leslie DeVoe's daughter, and she was actually a very uh, close friend of my younger sister. That's a, so that's the personal connection. That, that's a fascinating story. Did, obviously, that influenced you in, in writing this book. I do want to back up for some folks who may not be up on their history. In fact, we were talking about this off the air. Some people, uh, when we were talking about this book uh, outside of the studio, were confusing um, John Hinckley Jr. with David Chapman, of course, right. assassinated John Lennon. Right. Uh, and it is a common thing. Uh, John Hinckley Jr. was born into a wealthy family, and uh, he suffered apparently a paranoid schizophrenia. He he was as in this as he's kind of fictionally depicted in this book. Your book is very accurate. He uh, started having trouble at school. He he dropped out. He traveled to uh, Los Angeles to become a singer songwriter. But he became obsessed with an actress known as Jodie Foster, and particularly Jodie Foster's portrayal in Taxi Driver, uh, where she portrayed a teenage prostitute. Um, Taxi Driver is an interesting film because um, Travis Bickle, played by Robert De Niro in that film, uh, wants to assassinate a presidential candidate. In the film, it is based on George Wallace, but um, and I don't know whether this is where Hinckley got the idea, but Hinckley became obsessed with Jodie Foster and believed that if he assassinated someone, he would become uh, a real star and he would be able to uh, be on a, a level with her. So in 1981, he uh, took a shot at, uh, took five shots actually, at President Reagan and his retinue, 
Reagan was hit in the chest by a bullet uh, ricochet. Uh, James Brady, who, of course, campaigned on gun violence for years, was seriously wounded. He would later die. His death would be ruled a homicide, I believe, 32 years later. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm getting to is that Hinckley was, as you note, found not guilty by reason of insanity. And that was a very controversial verdict at the time. Um, Yes. And and Hinckley now, of course, has gotten out. He he's now sixty two years old, and I believe yeah, he was year. he was remanded to the custody of his mother, which is an interesting kind of coded to this whole thing, especially when when we're reading your book. But you know, one of the things that struck me, and I wanted to ask you if this is the case, it has struck me that we have not had between the nineteen sixties and, and this last period with with Chapman and Hinckley, we had a very violent period in American history where there was a number of assassination attempts on our presidents and, and presidential candidates. Squeaky Frome on Ford. And civil rights leaders. Absolutely. Fred Hampton here in Chicago. Uh, and that was actually what I was going to mention. It was, it was a very violent time. We've actually been in a very peaceful time. And one of the things I noticed in your book, and I found it extremely uh, honest and riveting, was the sense of claustrophobia through the whole book. There's this sense of doom everywhere. Uh, suburban doom, the feeling that people are trapped, and the feeling that this is a, a time when anything could happen, uh, a match could be lit, and it could just explode. And I wondered if that was something that you, you did intentionally, or whether it was just something that is so part of the time you couldn't help it. Because to me, that was extremely uh, a powerful part of this book. Um, that's an interesting point. I think, uh, I mean, I personally don't think we're living in very peaceful times now. Uh, I, I think what's become more, unfortunately, more popular now are, are these mass shootings, um, whereas before it seemed perhaps more individualized. But this book, to me, was very much about loneliness and isolation, in that you have a, a, a girl, an 11, 12-year-old girl on the verge of adolescence, who's her and her... Um, her mental state is still forming, and then you have this uh, man in his 20s whose mental state is unraveling, and at some point those two cross over. There's a sort of ground, a space where they meet. And I think it's interesting, like the character in the book, I was born in 1970, and I think when you grew, if you grew up in the 70s and even the early 80s, there was always this presence of the 60s. Of the of the baby boomer generation that so made a mark in popular culture that it to me in a way it felt like my generation was just sort of powerless to ever have that same sort of effect on the world and likewise we also saw you know all of this activism of the 60s all of this of radicalization, all this movement, and then we were sort of left with we were left with Ronald Reagan, and and a, and a new conservative movement in the '80s, and it just felt like we were duped. You know, we were sort of promised this new beginning, and then everyone sort of you know straightened up and flew right. One of the things, though, that, that struck me, and it's, it's interesting that we're talking about it as a group, your, uh, I don't want to say your other life, but you have a background as well in choreography and dance. And one of the things that struck me about this book, and especially in the structure of it, and I think Michael alluded to it before, is it felt like a dance. You know, some of the things that are going on, the people are kind of dancing around each other. There's a lot of movement between all the characters. And one of the things that's, that's very hard to do in, in any book is create the sense of action and momentum. 
uh, you know, I have a background in, in nonfiction writing, but I come from a, a fiction writing family. And when I've tried my hand at writing fiction, one of the, the most difficult things is always to keep people locked in on your characters moving forward. You did a great job in that. And one of the, one of the final excerpts we're going to play, I think, really shows this at its height in your book. But I wanted to know if, if you thought your dance background and your choreography background was brought to bear on this book. And did you kind of think of that uh, as, a, as a way to get the structure of the book moving? Yes, very much so. Excellent question. Um, I, yes, I very much think of writing novels, because I don't really write short stories at all, um, as choreography. And that's part of the excitement for me, is, is figuring out the structure of a long work. Um, likewise, in my choreographic works, I made um, what's considered full-length pieces, which is usually uh, an hour or so. And so I, I like the long form, and I'm very much thinking about um, choreography in terms of rhythm, in terms of pacing, in terms of how long you can hold an emotional tone, um, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, very much so. I never, I so rarely get asked that question. I'm very pleased that you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's our, the smart one in the group. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about the wind-up bird. Uh, I, I don't know why that stuck out. Um, there's a For our listeners, there's a scene in the <laughs> book where Hinkley um, buys a wind-up bird. I believe it's out of a gumball machine, right? Yeah. I'm not Hinkley. I'm sorry, Jeffrey. And um, he th- there's before he goes off to do the assassination, he winds the bird up, and it clicks over to the end of the table, and it doesn't fall off. Um, and I... Was that supposed to be um, metaphorical, like for, you know, he's mentally ill, he's going to walk to the edge, he's going to do this, and then we'll see what happens? Or was it just something that happened? I, I have a tendency to look too deeply into thing, events in books like a wind-up bird, but I've always been obsessed. Um, you know, the, there's the wind-up bird chronicle by Murakami, and then mm-hmm. Homer Simpson had the drinking bird when he goes on disability. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing the moo-moo. Yeah, when he... Uh, that's, that's the best. Yeah, and... It I, just hits the letter Y. Yeah, yeah it's like, I just doubled my input, you know, and... But uh, I don't know why, and I love birds. I have tattoos of birds on me, and I, I don't know why that stuck out with me so uh, vividly, but was there any intention of that, or was that just a random scene? Well, both sort of. Um, you know, it's random that he gets this. Uh, you know, gumball machines are always so tragic because you never get the one with the toy that you want. <laughs> um, I I literally just went through this a couple weeks ago with my seven year old nephew who did not get the thing he wanted, and it was just tears and oh, tragedy. Um, so, but I, I think part of what uh, the Hinkley character is is that he's looking for signs and he'll 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 create them anywhere. So it's it's you know of course scientifically chance that he got this um, gumball machine toy that was a wind up bird, and then the bird goes all the way to the edge but doesn't um, fall to its doom. It just it just stays there. And he's looking in that scene. He's looking for a sign to tell him to go. To That's say, right. Okay, go do this. And that was that was his sign. 
Panorama's Charlie Garcia spoke with rising musicians Dos Santos about their tour and their forthcoming album to be called La Comunidad del Fiatroro. Dos Santos spoke about recording in various studios and buildings in Bridgeport and the power of music. Sonorama airs every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. So we're down here on the studio with Dos Santos and Daniel is talking about his back pain. <laughs> he did some coping. <laughs> and suddenly the engineer just is around. So I'm going to interview him. Okay, so we have Dave here. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So we were recording today or yesterday, we were recording some guitars, right? Yeah, yesterday and a little bit of today, yeah. Oh, what's the, what's the process with the, with the Santos? The process for um, for this record, um, it's been interesting. We've done like three main tracking sessions, um, all in Bridgeport, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, in, in uh, storefronts essentially. Uh, two at, at their friend Bobby's storefront, just at the, down the street from here. Um, yeah, they just set up, they play as a band, and it's kind of like a live live takes of the songs. Sometimes they'll have certain instruments that they won't play. Um, and then we did another session at Co-Prosperity Sphere down the street. Um, similar thing, we did a bunch of live takes, and then we've been starting to do overdubs, either replacing some guitars that were done live um, or adding guitars that weren't done live or adding textures and stuff like that. And so now we're at uh, Daniel's here in his wonderful basement, getting in the tone zone with our nice amp collection. And we were checking, um, they were talking about the process, like seven months recording? Yeah. And different points in, in Bridgeport, like you you're saying. Yeah. Like. I guess it'll be, well, when did we start? June? We started June, so by the time December hits, it'll be seven months. Yeah. How you feel, Daniel, after all these months? Oh, yeah. Uh, finally. I, I, I feel good. I mean, I like a lot the, the process that we've been going through, uh, the non-conventional way of recording in spaces that are not, like they've mentioned it nowadays, with technology, we, we don't need really a fancy studio room to capture sounds and, and, and have all these... Um, Overly top like isolations and and soundproofing, soundproofing and um, um, yeah, I mean um, it's just like a very different from all the stuff I've, I've been done in the past. You know, like I used to go to the studio and work in a specific room, and that's it. Maybe this one it opens a little bit more like experimentation and also like taking some risk in different spaces. And in the same way, capturing some unique sounds and things that we really like, like there's some natural reverbs on the rooms that we work uh, in, like uh, Copro. Uh, they have uh, the gallery here in Bridgeport. They have a, you know, it's a large space and the congas have this natural reverb in one of the, in the, the corners there. Also in a storefront of our friend and neighbor, Bobby the Leg, he had a hallway and um, they've uh, put a speaker down the hallway, it was like a eco chamber, or I don't know how you call it, 
they were capturing the audio from the speakers through yeah, the, from the, the speakers and then he mic the speaker and he run something through there and put the mic at the end of the hallway then things like that when you have a, a, a sense of experimentation and, and taking risks that, that's what that was make it fun you know because you're kind of like you listen to the record and then people don't know the process like Dave mentioned I think a little bit what he said like people don't have any idea how we capture it like the fun part we're doing like now and then then you listen like oh that was in this room and that was this situation that was in this space that was in Daniel's basement that was you know and that's the beautiful of it it's kind of uh, um, uh, a good process I mean I don't have any uh, anything like fears or any kind of worries about it I think it's very cool and unconventional that make it unique this week on the trump diaries trump attacks athletes who protest during the national anthem drawing rare condemnation from sports leagues the owners and high-profile athletes north korea says it will detonate a hydrogen bomb over the pacific and shoot down american warplanes Obamacare repeal dies again, again, and what's a dotard? Find out. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 245, September 21st. Robert Mueller's asked the White House for documents tied to some of Trump's actions since taking office, including the firing of his national security advisor and FBI director. The moves indicate that Mueller is focused squarely on Trump's behavior in the White House and will raise tension in the Oval Office. Trump is already known to be apoplectic about the investigation into his ties to Russia. And Reuters reports the Trump administration is shifting oversight of international gun sales from state to the Commerce Department. That move will make it easier to sell non-military firearms to foreign buyers. An administration official quoted by Reuters said, quote, you could really turn the spigot on if you do this the right way. And Tom Price spent $400,000 on private flights last week, breaking with his predecessors at the Department of Health and Human Services. A DHS spokesman said charter flights are acceptable when, quote, commercial aircraft cannot reasonably accommodate travel requirements. But an analysis by the Washington Post found that, in fact, commercial travel was available. In the aftermath, Price's private flights privileges have been suspended, pending a review. And the Post is reporting that Paul Manafort offered to give private briefings to a Russian billionaire during the 2016 election campaign. Manafort also used his Trump campaign email account to communicate with a political operative seeking payment for previous consulting work in the Ukraine. The operative in question is suspected to have ties to Russian intelligence operations. Justice is now seeking documents related to a New York law firm's handling of a 2012 draft report commissioned by Manafort on Viktor Yankovych, the former president of Ukraine. It is unclear if the report is part of Mueller's probe. Trump is reportedly leaning toward decertifying Iran's compliance with the nuclear deal reached in 2015. Should he do so, he would force Congress to decide whether or not to pull the USA out of the deal. And in a bizarre speech to African leaders of the UN, Trump twice referred to the country of Namibia as Nambia, as he praised that country's healthcare system. In the same speech, Trump also said Africa has, quote, tremendous business potential, and that he has, quote, so many friends going to your countries trying to get rich. Day 246, September 22nd. Senator John McCain today dealt what appears to be a fatal blow to Republican attempts to repeal Obamacare. McCain, who killed the previous repeal effort with a dramatic no vote in July, released a statement saying he could not in good conscience support the latest proposal. I believe we could do better working together, Republicans and Democrats, and we have not yet really tried. Nor could I support it without knowing how much it will cost, how it will affect insurance premiums, and how many people will be helped or hurt by it. 
And in a rare direct statement, Kim Jong-un said Trump would pay dearly for his words and called Trump a dotard, which sent journalists scrambling to their Oxford English dictionaries. The antique word, which appears in Shakespeare, means someone in senile decay. North Korea is known to have very out-of-date Korean to English dictionaries. The word Kim used in Korean was nekudari, a common insult that means old or lazy. North Korea also threatened to detonate a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean, calling it the highest level of hardline countermeasure in history. The threat came after Trump imposed further sanctions on Pyongyang for its missile and nuclear weapons program. North Korea has never tested a nuclear device beyond its own borders. Facebook will turn over more than 3,000 Russia-linked ads to a Senate and Hounds intelligence committees investigating the Kremlin's influence operation during the 2016 presidential campaign. The move came after 470 Russia-linked accounts were discovered in which fictional people posed as American activists. Facebook ads were manipulated by Russian actors. Robert Mueller has requested phone records related to the statement coordinated above Air Force One about the Trump Tower meeting organized by Donald Trump Jr. Mueller also asked for documents related to a May 3rd press briefing in which Sean Spicer claimed Trump had full confidence in James Comey. And Trump's Muslim ban will be replaced as soon as this weekend with more targeted restrictions on visits to the United States that will vary by country. It is unclear yet which countries will be targeted. People living in the targeted nations could be prevented from traveling to the USA or face increased scrutiny as they seek to obtain a visa. Day 247, September 23rd. Trump, in a speech on Friday, urged NFL owners to fire players who do not stand for the national anthem. He suggested that football is declining in popularity because it is not as violent as it once was, and he told the NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, they were not invited to the White House due to Stephen Curry's opposition to him. At a rally for candidate Luther Strange in Alabama, Trump said, quote, wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, quote, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. The only thing you could do better is if you see it, even if it's one player, leave the stadium. The comments drew immediate rebukes from Roger Goodell of the NFL and LeBron James, who called Trump a bum, adding, going to the White House was a great honor until you showed up, a message that has now been liked by over a million users. Day 248, September 24th. More than 200 NFL owners and players linked, armed, and kneeled for the national anthem across America on Sunday in response to Trump's comments about protests in sports. The NFL issued a strongly worded statement condemning Trump's comments, and multiple owners, many of whom are Republicans and supported Trump, issued statements supporting the players and condemning Trump. That included prominent supporter and friend Robert Kraft, who said he was deeply disappointed, former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue, who called the comments insulting and disgraceful, and Browns owner Jimmy Haslam, who called Trump divisive. Trump Jr. attacked Goodell after the NFL commissioner released his statement, tweeting, quote, if only Goodell cared as much about domestic abuse and traumatic brain injury as he does about disrespecting America. Stephen Mnuchin also defended Trump's comments, saying that players, quote, have the right to have the First Amendment off the field. Susan Collins said she felt she could also not vote for the latest Republican plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act, joining John McCain and Rand Paul in voting no. Ted Cruz and Mike Lee also came out against the legislation on Sunday. The Congressional Budget Office is expected to deliver a devastating critique of the effort early this week. Day 249, September 25th. North Korea has threatened to shoot down American warplanes even if they are not in the country's airspace as its foreign minister declared that Trump's threatening comments about the country and its leadership were a declaration of war. The last time North Korea shot down an American warplane was in 1969 during the Nixon administration, killing all 31 crew members of a spy plane that was flying off its coast. North Korea's ability to make good on that threat is limited. 
Trump issued a new executive order to expand his travel ban and permanently restrict visitors from eight countries. The new order will stay in place until Iran, Libya, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, Chad, North Korea, and Venezuela meet security requirements set by Homeland Security. The order will start on October 18th. It indefinitely bans almost all travel to the United States from those eight countries. At least six of Trump's closest advisors occasionally use private email addresses to discuss White House matters. Jared Kushner used a private email account to send or receive about 100 work-related emails. Stephen Bannon, Rins Priebus, Gary Cohn, Ivanka Trump, and Stephen Miller also occasionally use private accounts. Trump ran his campaign on Hillary Clinton's use of a private account as Secretary of State, saying it made her untrustworthy. And Homeland Security has notified 21 states that they were targeted by Russian government hackers during the 2016 election campaign. There is no evidence yet that hackers tampered with voting machines. Officials confirmed that Alabama, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Maryland, Minnesota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Wisconsin, and Washington were among the states targeted. And Hurricane Maria wiped out nearly 80% of the crops in Puerto Rico, leaving the island on the brink of what the governor calls a humanitarian crisis. 4,000 army reserves have been dispatched with food to the island as officials pressure Congress and the White House to fast-track disaster relief funds to Puerto Rico. Millions still remain without power after that hurricane. Day 250, September 26th. The IRS's Criminal Investigation Division is sharing information with Robert Mueller about Trump's campaign associates, including Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn. IRS agents had been working before the election with the FBI to investigate Manafort. He is allegedly being investigated for money laundering and tax fraud. It is unclear if the special counsel has asked for or received Trump's tax returns. And an analysis of voter suppression by the New York Times reported that Wisconsin's strict voter ID laws kept nearly 17,000 registered voters from the polls in November. The November turnout in that state, barely 65% of eligible voters, was the lowest in a presidential election year since 2000. Trump defeated Clinton by 22,748 votes in that state. BuzzFeed reports that Steve Bannon tried to place a mole inside Facebook days before he took over Trump's presidential campaign in August 2016. The plan was for Breitbart to flood the zone with candidates for a public policy manager role at Facebook's WhatsApp, who would then report back to Bannon. Day 251, September 27th. Mitch McConnell abandoned the latest plan to repeal Obamacare on Tuesday night, admitting the measure was dead. Strong opposition to the bills, which would have left millions without insurance, killed the effort, which was largely driven by the GOP's wealthy donors. They are opposed to the tax on their incomes that helps provide insurance to millions of Americans. And Roy Moore, the ousted former Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, overcame efforts by top Republicans and beat Senator Luther Strange soundly in a special primary runoff. That outcome dealt a humbling blow to Trump and other party leaders days after the president pled with voters in the state to back Strange. Moore's victory demonstrated in stark terms the limits of Trump's clout. Trump plans to cap refugee admissions at 45,000 over the next year, setting a historically low limit on the number of people who can resettle in the USA after fleeing persecution in their own nations. The limit is the lowest any White House has sought since 1980. The ceiling has never slipped lower than 67,000, the number Ronald Reagan set in 1986. And the Daily Beast reports that Sean Spicer has lawyered up. Spicer has hired Chris Mead, a high-powered criminal defense attorney, to handle issues related to Robert Mueller's probe. Mead specializes in white-collar crime and the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Just 29% of Americans now hold a favorable view of the Republican Party, down 13 percentage points since March. The previous low point for the GOP was 30%. Trump's approval ratings have fallen again in the wake of his comments on NFL players to just 38%, according to the 538 Metapoll.
These are the Trump Diaries. Jay Ivey, three-time HBO deaf poet and Grammy Award winner for his work on Kanye West's The College Dropout, turned out a scorching 45-minute set on Lump and Pop-Up Radio. Jay Ivey dropped words from his book Dear Father and spoke passionately about how poetry gave him new life. Lump and Pop-Up Radio aired every Sunday in September, live from Soho House, Chicago. Chicago, how you feeling? <laughs> it's good to be here. My name is Jay Ivey, for those that don't know, for those that do know, what up, what up? Um, I'm really excited about tonight. I'm excited about being here at the Soho House. I'm excited about the day. I'm excited about uh, the things that we're doing in the world, the, the change that we're creating in the world in spite of the challenge. And um, I'm fresh off a plane back from Africa, my first trip to Africa. So that's why, you know, I, I got, that's why I got this daishiki on. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went to uh, Rwanda and Uganda over the past two weeks. And it, it was an, an amazing, amazing experience. Every day was full of adventure. Every day was a story. Every day was a, a learning lesson. Every day was was realizing the connection that had been lost for so many generations. You get over there, and as an African-American male who grew up on the south side of Chicago and the south suburbs, uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was an eye-opener, to say the least, to be able to connect back with the motherland and to see so many people that look like you and so many people that talk like you, even though the, the tongues the language is a little different, you know, picked up a few words along the way. But it, it was amazing, you know, it, it was emotional. I uh, got to work with some kids over there, helped build a playground. And, and these, 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 young, these young people, man, they were incredible, just such bright lights. So it, it brought us a lot, of, uh, a lot of joy to be there. And, and I was excited to come home and, and, and tell Chicago and tell the U.S. about, about these adventures across the, the pond, that big old pond. But uh, one of the things that, that it reminded me of was in life, you know, we had to have balance. We had to have balance. And I wrote this joint a while ago, kind of like a letter to myself, just reminding me to, to seek that balance and, and to function with that balance every day. You know, we gotta find our cool. We gotta find our cool. Cool. We gotta be cool. They judge you before your eyes even open. Off jump, they coming for your throat before words even spoken. When you touch down, you gotta let them know that you get things in motion, but be clear. They fear your dedication. They fear your devotion. They love and hate your skin tone. Treat you like an immigrant when you've been home. Bronze like the pennies the brother Abe owned. Envy is the drug that they own. Every breath I take is a hit. Cause we're striking like the ancient Egyptians. They clone our people are beautiful down to the bone, down to the soul. We in the city, gods and slums is all they want us to know. And they think we ain't know. 
thought you was just street smart. Can't understand how you come up with this street art. Didn't understand they was dealing with men, women, mothers, fathers, too. Yeah, some of us slipped through the cracks, but the ones that we put nothing above, the way they look up to us, man, that's beautiful. Fly like the sauce is being flown. Yo, they tapping your lines, so use your thoughts to iPhone home. Send moms a highlight tape, but it's Twilight Zone. We're extraordinary, extraterrestrial. ETs got them uneased. Now they building space stations trying to police the ozone. Oh, no. They're trying to protect their borders from illegal aliens visiting from other worlds. We were sent here by way of God's referral. Peel back our skin and see our light. Peel back the layers and see our fight. Get high off life. Rush your head on the cloud. Dodge them chemtrails. If the walls could talk, they tell you they want to want to walk in our shoes and listen to the tales our Tim's tell. Came from the heavens, now we dwell in hell. Enslaved by a country that still hates me, wants me in jail. Discriminates against us, want to hold us down, man, we too profound. That's why they want us to behave. Show us how they feel with 12 years of slave. Media hop on the field and they run they plays all day. They say and replay that you a thug, you a. All he want is our women, our gold, our figures. Ain't nothing but an animal with his claws on the trigger. There's a difference between brands and labels. They invite you to the table and try and label your brand. Change the beat of your band or orchestrate the land with your hand. Man, the challenge is staying balanced. Never too high. Never too low, stuck in the middle with a mean flow, a mean show. I see you, sis. I see you, bro. You can move any room, work any crowd. They can't quiet your loud, so keep feeding them and feeding them. It ain't black versus white. It ain't rich versus poor. It's wrong versus right. And what's right is that the babies keep eating and eating. You ain't never been a fool. So just remember to use your tools, be you, and no matter what they do, always remember that you go be cool. You go be cool. So that's what we're trying to do. Y'all can put some hands together, y'all. Let's get into this. I know it's like, I know it's only 10,000 of us in here, you know, but, you know, we can make some noise, get comfortable. So that, that's, that's really what it is, you know, in life, you know, I found that I was always, you know, just trying to find my cool, trying to find my balance as I maneuvered through this maze that we call America. And, you know, it's funny to, to, to go across seas and come home because you, you, see, you see the pros and cons immediately. You see, you see the beauty in other places, but you see their struggles as well. And then you come home and you realize that our struggles aren't always as deep um, as, as others may be. You know, people are really going through some, some tough times. They don't have running water. They don't have shoes on their feet. You know, and then there's, there's people that, that were doing quite well at the same time over there. So you see that side of the coin as well. And you come home and you, you see, you see the, 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 the politics that's happening. You see the, the, the change that's occurring. You're seeing the, the fight to, to to voice yourself freely without anybody questioning, you know, your, 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 why, why it is that you feel the need to voice yourself, you know. So for me, I was, I was taught early on to always use my voice, even when I didn't realize I had one. 
I went to, to high school out in the south suburbs, and I had this amazing, amazing teacher. Her name was Miss Argue. And what I learned is you ain't going to argue with somebody named Miss Argue. <laughs> so she had us one day, had the class write a, a poem for a homework assignment. And I wasn't into poetry. Like, I was, I was real good at writing notes to girls. But, you know, I didn't think that was a gift. Even though I knew I was cold at it, I didn't think it was a gift, you know. And she had us write this poem. And at the time, my poets were, were the MCs. My poets were, you know, Tribe Called Quest and N.W.A. and Slick Rick and Big Daddy Kane and, and Nas and, and so forth and so on. And I had all these amazing inspiration. Those were my poets. But as far as me being in the poetry, that wasn't my thing. So anyway, I go home and I write this poem that I, did, I wasn't too excited about. And immediately uh, after writing it, I was like, I, I, I really don't want to get this. I don't want to turn this in. But it was homework, so I turned it in. And, and when, when I took it to class, Ms. Argue surprised the entire class and made everybody read their poem in front of the class. So I'm like, I ain't want to write this thing. No, I, gotta I definitely don't want to read it. You know, I wrote this poem about the clouds. It, it once was a cloud. That was the name of it. And I read this poem, and after class, Ms. Argue, she pulled me to the side. She gave me an A. And I was like, oh, man, I wouldn't get no A's, or not too many B's either at the time. So I was excited to see, you know, she called my attention, she, you know, with this, with this, with this A on this page that I hadn't been accustomed to. And then she told me, she said, you have a nice speaking voice. I have a show coming up. I want to put you in the show. I'm like, nah, I ain't trying to do that. So I didn't do the show. <laughs> a few weeks go by. Ms. Argue approaches me again. She said, you know what? Last time I asked you to do a show, you didn't do it. I got another show coming up. You have to do it. So she made me do it. And my first time ever on stage, as scared as I was, as voiceless as I felt, as, as, as vulnerable of a moment as it was, my first time ever on stage, I got a standing ovation. And in that moment, my life changed. In that moment, I realized I did have a voice. In that moment, I realized that you can't get places if you have the courage to go after it. And, and it just woke my spirit up. You know, it woke me up. And, and from that point on, you know, I had a real need to want to express myself and tell these stories. So I would just, I would just write and write and write and write and write. And, and immediately, it, it became a need. You see, I need to write. I need to sit my black narrow behind down and write. Yeah, the hustle got me hustling, but I'm muscling myself out of time for me. Well, what about me, I ask? What about the stories that I need to tell? I need to write, because can't nobody do it for me. Can't nobody document my inspirations the way I can. Can't nobody compliment my aspirations the way I can. Only I can, only I can, only I can. So I need to write. I need to gather up some words and write. I need to gather up some thoughts and write. I need to write because I'm tired of hearing the same old pieces. I know y'all tired of hearing the same old pieces because the same old pieces got the same old problems. But I got new problems, more problems, problems that change, problems that rearrange. This homeless cat asked me for some money but got mad at me because I ain't got no spare change. I need to write. Me and my girl been arguing. I need to write. My boy told me to take it to the next level, so I need to write. My pops died, and it's hard dealing with it. I need to write. I know y'all can't wait for the book. I need to write. They done stole my hoopty. I need to write because I didn't come to your event because I was tired. I need to write. I distinctly remember asking for six wings with mild sauce. Why is it I only have four? I need to write. I think about writing in third person when the first is hurting. Life is a job and the verse is working. My soul 
soul's rehearsing for when the good Lord pulls the curtain. Words are words, so maybe it's your actions that's doing the cursing. I said, I think about writing in third person when the first is hurting. Life is a job and the verse is working. My soul's rehearsing for when the good Lord pulls the curtain. Words are words, so maybe it's your actions that's doing the cursing. I need to write. Just yesterday, and I mean just yesterday, it was illegal for me to write with my pen. I need to write. Lumpin' Radio is proud to present the world premiere of a new song from jazz drummer Micaiah McRaven. From the forthcoming release Highly Rare on International Anthem Recording Company, this is Above and Beyond.
Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is edited and engineered by Logan Bay. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpen Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. Yeah.